Welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. I'm glad to be here. I hope you are too. I went to college at Northwest Christian College in Eugene, Oregon. That's where my mom and dad went to college. That's where they met. That's where they got married. So that was, has been a significant place in my family's history. But I went to that college not because I wanted to, because it was the last resort choice uh, that I made. And my mindset was that I would stay here for a semester, and then I could figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be, and transfer to whatever that was. And that first semester at Northwest Christian College, um, a lot of things came together, and I f- more fully understood the love of Jesus. He got a hold of me, and it changed my life. Now, I grew up in a Christian family. My dad was an army chaplain. I had been to church all of my life. I got baptized when I was 10 years old. Uh, I'd heard the gospel all my life and had appropriated some of those things, but was still struggling with identity and how to put that all together. But at NCC, that's where God got a hold of me fully and uh, drew me into Christian ministry. While we were, while I was there at that, one of the um, things that was going on was that uh, people were talking about this strange thing called call. What What is your call? Uh, have you been called? Uh, how are you called? What What's your dramatic story of being called? And I was struggling because I didn't have one. Even though I'd grown up in the church, that was not really the language or the experience that I had. Uh, and so I, I struggled with that, having a call. Um, when I was growing up as, as a young child, uh, people would look at me and observe my behavior and those kinds of things. And they uh, would often remark, well, you're going to grow up and follow in your father's footsteps. And in my mind, I was going, no, I don't want to follow my father's footsteps. I want to blaze my own trail. I don't want to follow. I want to pioneer. Uh, I knew enough about me. I admired my father. I loved his preaching, uh, even idolized him. I, but I knew in my heart that I wasn't him and that if I followed in his footsteps, I wouldn't do well because I couldn't be him. I could only be me. And God made me in a unique way. And uh, most of my life has been preparation for now. Uh, and that's the way it is with all of us in reality. And so I've struggled with the way God has put me together and how he's called me and how he's designed me. Uh, And and yet there is a specific thing that God has done for all of us. Uh, When Lori and I were serving a church in Winter, South Dakota, it was a yoked parish. So one half of it was Christian Church Disciples of Christ, which I was a, a pastor at that time. And the other half was a Presbyterian congregation. And so we were a part of the Presbytery of South Dakota, and we went to one of their meetings, and they happened in their worship uh, time to be singing a song that's based on Isaiah 6, 8, uh, Isaiah's call to ministry. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And I could sense Jesus 
in my heart prompting me and calling me. And so I said yes to Jesus, even though I've been saying yes to Jesus uh, many different times, many different places. But that was one of the times that I said yes to Jesus to follow him. I didn't know at the time, but if you read that sixth chapter of Isaiah and you hear his call and you see his call, how he'd been changed and touched by that coal so that he could speak God's word, the, the call of Isaiah is complicated and difficult and challenging because basically God called Isaiah to speak to a people who didn't want to hear, who refused to hear, who rejected the good news that he was offering. And so Isaiah struggled in his ministry because people simply rejected what he had to say and what God was saying. And so sometimes God calls us into those kinds of circumstances as well. I've always loved this fourth chapter of Ephesians. It's about equipping the saints for ministry. There's something in it that appeals to me. I see myself in described here. And for most of my life, I've seen this as aspirational. I knew that I wasn't quite there yet, but I could see that God was drawing me forward into it and, and what it was about. And so uh, I've always loved this fourth chapter. And, and that's where we're going to be here uh, this morning. Maybe you've struggled with the idea of call. Perhaps you've not even heard of the concept before, and so you're saying, called? I, I don't know what that is. Or maybe you are feeling uh, unworthy. Why in the world would God call you or me to do his work? We're, we're so unworthy, so um, inferior to what he might be able to do. And so we, we kind of have that uh, feeling sometimes as well. Or maybe the concept is simply vague and uncertain for you. And, and yet, if the church is the ecclesia, the called out ones uh, into the community, then that means that every single one of us has been called by Jesus because we're part of his church. And so all of us have a call from Jesus that we need to live into. In this series in Ephesians that we've been looking at, uh, Pastor Ben started off with the uh, idea in Matthew that Jesus is the one who builds his church. And so Jesus is the one who puts us together, builds us into a community, and is employing us in partnership with him for his work and ministry in this world. Uh, we looked at uh, Aaron and Alina, how they are our missionaries in Thailand, that they were called out of our congregation and sent uh, to Thailand. Thailand. Uh, and that was exciting. And then Pastor Ben talked about our identity in Christ, that he is able to do with us much more than we can think, imagine, or ask because he is in us and we are in him. And then uh, Pastor Mark uh, talked about our call from yesterday into uh, through today and into tomorrow. And uh, last week, Pastor Ben talked about uh, the fact that Christ dwells within the ecclesia, not only in us as individuals, but in us together as God's community. This morning, if you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to get that out and open it up to Ephesians 4. If you have it on your phone or uh, some other kind of electronic device, I would ask that you would hold that up as well, and let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for your grace and for your word of life to us this morning. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us because your word is life. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, chapter 4 of Ephesians is a, a transition chapter. 
uh, 1, 2, and 3 look at principles of this Christian life that we've looked at. And in chapter 4, Paul begins a transition into how you live it out, how you apply it, how you uh, become what... Uh, our Father has intended what Jesus intended. And so uh, the overarching consideration is to live worthy. That's what Paul is calling us to do. And we need to be reminded that it's about grace, not performance. So often we take what is uh, God's gift to us, God's grace to us, and somehow we turn it into a need to perform and be and do in order to earn God's love. And the reality is that we live out of gratitude for what God has already done for us in Jesus Christ. And so living worthy is not about performance, it's about grace and gratitude. And so Paul reminds us, uh, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so these are the overarching principles of how we live worthy, how we live out our call in a worthy manner, uh, that we need to live in humility, that we need to live in gentleness, that we need to be patient, and that we need to bear with one another in love. Uh, these overarching characteristics are the characteristics of Jesus. This is how he lived his life. Uh, that he was humble, uh, that he was gentle, that he was patient, that he is the one who forgave ultimately all of us, and that Jesus defines these characteristics for us, and his example of them guides us as we live into them. And so we want to live our call in a manner that is worthy, and all of these characteristics of humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. But then Paul reminds us that we need to live into the unity that's in Jesus Christ. In verse 3, he says that we need to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity is a big theme in this letter to the Ephesian church. It is scattered throughout all of it as Paul talks about unity. It's not just here in the fourth chapter that we need to be eager to maintain the bonds of unity uh, in, the, in, in Jesus Christ, but it is a part of everything that Paul is writing about. If you go back to chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, Paul talks about God's plan uh, that's revealed in Jesus Christ, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The whole purpose of Jesus is unity, to bring us together. That's been God's plan. Uh, in the Greek, when they totaled up numbers, they put the sum on top, and then the supporting numbers were underneath, and so uh, Jesus sums up all things is the way that Paul expresses it. For our culture, it's the bottom line. Uh, we look at the numbers and then we get down to the bottom line, what they add up to, and that's what we want to see first. Because if we know the bottom line, we know what really is happening. And Paul is saying that Jesus is that bottom line, that it's all about him. And what he's doing is to bring unity into uh, all of creation. And so Jesus sums things up. And then in chapter 2, uh, 
Paul describes the process of how Jesus brings about unity. And that unity comes about because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. Verse 13 of chapter 2 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. His sacrifice is what makes us one people. And the Gentiles who are far off, far away, have been brought near by Jesus. And so in Ephesians 2, 14 through 15, Paul continues, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. If you look at philosophy, there's the philosopher Hegel, and he has his uh, dialectic. Uh, the thesis is the Jewish people. The antithesis is the Gentile people. The synthesis is the new humanity in Jesus Christ. Even Paul, before Hegel, is writing in, those kind, in that kind of language. And he talks about this new humanity, that we've been made one in Jesus. Jew and Gentile together being made one. Nietzsche uh, talked about his Superman, his Uberman. And yet, if you look at that, it is uh, something that is... Uh, filled with pride and arrogance, and Jesus is not that. He's filled with humility. And, and so this new humanity that Jesus makes is in himself as he unites Gentile and Jew together. In verse uh, 6 of chapter 3, uh, he spells it out very clearly, clearly. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So Jew and Gentile are reconciled in Jesus. That we belong to each other, with each other, through Jesus Christ. And therefore that means that there is no foundation or basis for prejudice or discrimination at all. Because all of us are the same in the way that we come to faith in Jesus Christ. And that we're part of the same body in Jesus in the world, through the eyes of flesh, we see categories, skin color, ethnicity, all those kinds of things. And yet in Jesus Christ, we are one people. And we need to live that way and act that way and recognize that, that all of us belong to Jesus Christ in faith. And then Paul goes deeper and talks about the nature of this unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And he describes some of the dimensions of unity. In verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. We've been called by Jesus to hope. Uh, there's the one body of Jesus that we all belong to. Uh, there is the one spirit of Jesus that empowers us, directs us, and helps us. And there is one hope that we're called to, uh, our hope of having restored relationship with the Father and with e each other, our hope of a heavenly home with our Father, the hope that we have of eternity with the Father. And then there is the gospel that unites us. Ephesians 4, 5 says there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. You see, what Paul is saying is that all of us, no matter what category superficially we might bear, we have come to Jesus in the same way and we owe our allegiance to Him. And all of us have confessed our faith in Him and to Him. 
In the same way, whether we're Gentile or Jew, we have expressed faith. Paul reminds us in chapter 2, verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we are united in Jesus Christ, and yet we are at the same time unique individuals in his body, and we're called to work together to accomplish the will of Jesus, and we have purpose and we have destiny because of what Jesus has done in us already. A few years ago, Lori and I went back to Kentucky to see uh, my sons, and when we got to Georgetown, Kentucky, we noticed that there were a lot of horses there, and there were a lot of uh, pastures that were uh, bright uh, green with horses. And many of the fences were stacked stone. And we got to looking at the, the history of those fences. Some of them date back to the 1820s. And basically what happened, Irish and Scottish immigrants had come through uh, Kentucky at that time. And uh, they cleared the fields of, of limestone to make room for pasture and, and grass to grow for the animals. And they used those stones to build the fences. And what's really wonderful about those fences is that they didn't cut any of those stones. They used each one in its unique shape, and they fitted it into the right place in the fence so that it would fit, and, and that it would give its strength and integrity to that fence. Now, some of those fences have been standing for, for over 200 years, and the standard that they built to was described in this way. Those fences needed to be horse-high, bull strong and hog tight. And, and let me tell you what that means. Uh, a horse generally won't jump over a fence if it's as high as his shoulder or higher. Horses just don't like to do that. So uh, a fence that that's high will keep a horse in the pasture, which is a good thing. And it needs to be bull strong. You know, bulls are very strong and they tend to lean on things and push on things. And if the wall's not built with integrity, a bull could push through it and make a hole and you don't want that to happen. So those stones had to be bull strong. And then hogs like to root. They like to dig roots and tubers and they're good at digging. And if there is a hollow under the fence, they'll dig their way out through it. And that's not a good thing either because the, the wall could collapse at that point where they have dug out and made a hole. So that's the standard. Horse high, bull strong, and hog tight. Uh, and if you have a fence built that way, it's going to keep your animals where they belong and it's going to allow your pasture to do what it's supposed to do. And that is a picture of the, what Jesus does with us. He takes us as we are, pulls us out of the field, as it were, and he finds the right place to fit us into himself so that we have strength and integrity and so we belong and we can do what Jesus has called us to do in the place that he's placed us. And, and that is a, a picture uh, of what we are about. And so Paul reminds us of the unity that we have in Jesus Christ. And then he says that if we're going to live out our call in a worthy manner, uh, then we also need to live into the fullness of Jesus Christ. Uh, verses 11 and 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, we've talked about the fact that we are in Christ, not only as individuals, but also as uh, an ecclesia. 
And last week, Pastor Ben talked about the fact that Christ dwells in us. Paul said that very same thing in Colossians, uh, verse 27 of the first chapter. He says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so Christ is living with us, in us, and he wants to live out the fullness of Christ in us. And these fivefold gifts that Paul talks about are are the way that the fullness of Jesus Christ is expressed uh, in us and through us. And they're gifts that are given because of the triumphal entry of Jesus into heaven. They're ascension gifts. Because Jesus has won the victory, he has given these gifts to us as individuals and to us as the church together. And those gifts are described in the terms of being apostolic. Uh, That is, uh, an apostle or an apostolic uh, person is about movement, about being creative, about living out the idea of being sent. And the slogan of the apostolic is onward and upward. Uh, I happen to be uh, living out of the apostolic for the most part. When I created uh, the equipping ministry of our church, it it came out of the apostolic teaching dimensions of, of my life. The prophetic is about alignment of truth, getting in step with the Father. And the slogan for the prophetic is repent and believe. And so prophetic is about calling us into alignment with the Father, to get in step, uh, to see where we're out of, of step, where we're in dissonance and bring us back into harmony with what God is doing. And so the prophetic is about alignment and the slogan is repent and believe. Uh, the evangelistic dimension of our life is about uh, recruiting into the story, uh, telling the story, and inviting others into the story. And the evangelistic slogan is uh, join the party. That's what evangelism is about, to get people excited about Jesus and drawn into the story of Jesus so they can share their story and get on board with the story and and live into the story. And so join the party is that theme. And then the shepherd is uh, about uh, being a guide, uh, being uh, one who nurtures, uh, one who protects, one who directs. It's about relationships. And the slogan is love one another. And we all need shepherds in our life to draw us together, hold us together, uh, express the sense of love, give us nurturing guidance. We need that uh, from time to time in our life. And so uh, shepherds are about uh, that, uh, loving one another. And the teacher is about learning, being grounded in the truth. And the slogan is take time to know God. And, And so um, that is, are those uh, five-fold dimensions. And all of us have all five of those operating in our life. Uh, some are stronger than others, but all are present, and all of them play off one another, and all are needed in the work of ministry. And in the church, all of these five gifts are present as well, and all of them are needed uh, to do the work of Jesus Christ. And so we are called into that, uh, and we're designed for that. Uh, and, and we just need to live into the fullness that Jesus has for us. The purpose of these gifts, uh, verses 14 through 16, Paul talks about, so that we may no longer be children 
tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." You see, the reason that Jesus gives these gifts to us and to the church is not so that apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers will do the ministry for us and we can sit back and cheer them on. No, they're given to the church in order for providing equipment for the saints, that's everyone in the church, to do the work of ministry. That all of us have been called to do the work of service. And we're shaped and purpose by God to do that. And these fivefold giftings help us get involved in the way that God has designed us so that we can work together. And every part is significant and important and is needed. And they help us move uh, towards uh, unity. They help us build up the body of Christ. Uh, they help us uh, to experience Jesus. And they help us move towards maturity. Here at Sterling Foursquare, we exist to give hope to the broken, to live lives that thrive, to equip believers, and to launch leaders. And our equipping process, our discipleship process, the equipping of believers, is through the square classes that we offer. If, if you haven't taken square, square one yet this fall, that should be your next step to sign up for that class as we offer it so that you can begin that journey of how God is calling you and, give, and we'll give you the tools that you need to grow and we'll, as the process goes on, you will begin to understand your shape and, and how God has designed you and where you fit in and what you're about. And so if you haven't started yet, start with square one. If you've started the process, at the next available time, take that next step and join that next class so that you can continue that process. When we get to uh, square three, that's where we, we talk about our shape uh, for ministry, how God has put us together, our spiritual gifts, our, our heart, our passion, our aptitudes, our personality, our experiences, because all of these play in how God has designed us and what we're about. And so we want you to discover that in square three. And in square four, we want to deepen your understanding and to look at your gifts and your personal mission so that you can be actualized into the ministry that God has given for you. And so these are the way that we live into the fullness that Jesus has for us. And then Paul reminds us that if we're going to walk in a worthy manner, that we need to live into maturity. And so he describes uh, maturity, what it means to grow up into Christ. It requires that every part work together, that we're built up in love. And Paul, in the last part of this chapter, begins to talk about signs of maturity, the things that we can see along the way that would indicate that we're moving towards maturity. If we're going to be different because of who Jesus is and what he's done in us, then we also need to act out of that and do different. And so Paul describes what it looks like to do different. And that first one is in... Uh, verses 22 through 24, as Paul talks about uh, putting off the old self and putting on the new self in Jesus Christ. To put off your old self, 
which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. You see, we have a choice to make about how we're going to live our life. We've been called by Jesus. We've been forgiven by Jesus. Uh, we have been cleansed by Jesus. And, and so he's called us from the old life into a new life. And we have to make the choice every day to move into that new life. Always that old life is there. And it has its hooks in us. But in Jesus Christ, those have been destroyed. But sometimes we still act as if they're there and we're pulled back. But we need to choose to live into the new life that Jesus Christ has for us. And that's a choice that we can make, uh, that we need to put on that new self, to be renewed daily in the way that Jesus has made us so that we can live into the way that, that God has designed us. And so we need to do that so we are different because we have become different in Jesus Christ. And then we need to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15 says exactly that. We need to speak the truth in love. We're to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And in Ephesians 4.25, he goes on and says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. So often we talk about speaking the truth in love and we focus simply on our married relationships or we focus on a little wider community in the church itself. But Paul broadens that to the whole community, that we need to speak truth to one another, uh, that we're members of one another, that we need to put away falsehood. Um, and then Paul says that another sign of maturity is doing honest work in order to have something to share with others. In verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's interesting that Paul talks about work not as a way to simply pay your bills and survive, and not about how you plan for a retirement by saving up your resources, but rather he talks about work as a means to have resources to share with other people, to share with different causes, with ministry, with service. And that work is a way that God has given us so that we can have resources to supply the need of God's people in ministry and service. And then in verse 29, he says that we need to speak in a way that is different, Talk that builds up others in love. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The way we speak is important. And we need to speak in love. And we need to speak in a way that builds people up, that that gives them encouragement, that gives them life, that gives them the opportunity to move forward. And so it's important that we speak in a way that reflects Jesus in our life. And then in verses 30 through 32, Paul talks about living in harmony with the Spirit. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and malice uh, and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. You see, again, there are choices that we need to make 
We can choose to act out of anger, out of clamor, out of slander or malice. And if we do that, it's destructive, not only the people that we speak to, but, the, but for ourselves as well. That when you respond to anger with anger, it just perpetuates that cycle. And it gets worse and worse as it goes round and around until you circle down the drain of destruction. And so Paul reminds us that we have a choice about those negative qualities that we are aware of in life. And we can choose to be different. And so Paul says that the way that we counter these negative emotions and actions is by being kind. When somebody does something that hurts you, instead of being angry about it, be kind. And that has a way of turning away anger. That has a way of, of uh, being revolutionary in the midst of anger. Paul says that we need to be tender-hearted. That's not a sign of weakness to be tender-hearted. It's a sign of strength that you can choose to look beyond the surface action to the underlying cause and dimension of what's going on in that person, uh, the hurt that is at their heart that is causing them to behave or act in that way that is so harmful. And you can be tender-hearted to speak to that issue in their life and give them life and hope and encouragement. And then Paul says that we need to choose to forgive. That when we have been hurt by people, instead of hurting back, that we need to forgive, that we need to choose to release them and to release ourselves from that hurt so that we can forgive them and be able to move on. And that forgiveness is a revolution. It is unexpected. It's not called for. It is not the way the world works. And when we choose the way of forgiveness, even though it is still difficult and challenging for us and is still hurtful in our souls, if we choose to forgive, something wonderful happens to us and something wonderful happens to them. And it's the way that Jesus lived. And so when we choose the way of forgiveness, we are living into the way that Jesus has designed us. I would invite you to stand as you are able and band, I would invite you up on the platform with me. Paul reminds us that if we're going to live in a worthy manner to the call that we have in Jesus Christ, that we need to live into the unity of Jesus, that we need to live into the fullness of Jesus, and we live, need to live into the maturity of Jesus. What would your life look like or be like if you heard Jesus this morning calling you? calling you from your past calling you into your future that he has for you what would be what would that be like for you if you actually heard his voice whispering come to me and i will give you rest what would it be like for you if hearing Jesus, you would be filled with gratitude. That your, your whole life would be an expression of gratitude for the grace that Jesus has extended to you personally. For the gift of life that Jesus has given to you 
for the purpose and destiny that is yours in Jesus Christ. How would you live differently if you were living out of gratitude for those things? And what would your life look like if you were growing vigorously in Jesus Christ, that you were growing into the unity of the body, that you were growing into your purpose, that you're growing into the fullness of Jesus, that you are growing up to be like him. What would that be like for you this week? And what would it be like for all of us as God's people to recognize that we're walking with Jesus in partnership, that we've been brought together by the good news of Jesus and made one in him, that we've been filled with the fullness of Jesus and he is present in our midst and that he is leading us. What would it be like if we were expressing and becoming mature, measured by the standard of Jesus himself? What would that be like for our congregation? What would God do with us in our community if we lived that way? Would you pray with me? Oh, loving God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the call that he speaks over us. We thank you for the grace that he gives to us, that he makes us new, and that he has given us gifts and that he is leading us into partnership and ministry with you. Loving Father, I ask that you would touch our hearts and our lives this morning, that you would uh, speak words of encouragement to our hearts, and that you would lead us forth in joy and peace as we, with Jesus, do your work. Bless us now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I've got some action steps for you this morning, uh, for this week. I want you to choose kindness. I want you to speak words that build people up. And I want you to choose the way of forgiveness. Amen.